0: At Calor, we've always looked at the future, leading the way with our renewable gas bio LPG. Ideal for off-grid homes and businesses, it cuts emissions by up to 90%. So, if like Mary and Mick Gorman and Abby Leakes, you're looking for a cleaner, more efficient way to cook and heat your home, our renewable gas is the right solution for you. And one that protects the planet too. Bio-LPG. Renewable gas from Calor. Find out more at CalorGas.ie.
1: Welcome to the Blood and Mud podcast, the podcast that sticks its hands into the weekend's rugby like the draw in your house that finds a rechargeable AAA battery, despite the fact you've never owned a battery charger, two scart leads, post-it notes, and a general sense of frustration. I am Lee, and there's no Josh this week. In the absence of Josh, I ask you all to say hello to 70s man, comedian, singer, dancer, and now television star, Mr Mike Bobbins.
2: Hello world, hello Lee, hello everybody.
1: Congrats on your first kind of. Pro- I know you have done the 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 um, the holiday show. I can't remember what it is there. The tourist, track, do you mean? Thank you, the tourist. I think it was holiday. You've done that, but that wasn't your show. Whereas the unexplainers is your show, isn't it? That's
2: my show. That's my show. Yeah, it's on TV as well. I know. I'm uh, I'm rapidly moving up in the world. I'm I'm, I'm still I'm still sat in the same uh, spare bedroom doing this though. It was all good.
1: Exactly. You're not. You're still not too Hollywood for us, are you? I still in
2: my underpants, I'm still drinking water out of a, a pint mug and nick from a pub, So it's all good.
1: Yes. Uh, what have you been up to since we last spoke about a month ago? Um, that was in the afterglow yeah, of Wales's slam win. So you know.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, there was that. Obviously, we mentioned that at some length. Um, well, the sort of, the poacher became the gamekeeper. Really, I got asked uh, a friend of mine asked me to go down and cover the Wales under 19s, Japan under 19s um, international. Uh, Rugby International at the, the Cardiff Ground to do the, the stadium commentary for that. So, what do you mean? So, you know, just, you know, get people up for it, you know. So, I'll, I'll do it, mate, but I'm going to do it old school. I'll do like names, scorers, you know. I, I'm not, I won't be trying anyone to give anything up or, or make some noise <laughs> <I won't be. laughs> yeah. So it. Um, so, um, I did that and they were quite pleased with that. I think got that sort of back to basics approach. So, they asked me to do the. It's called the Welsh Varsity Match, which is, mm. which, to be honest is a ridiculous name for it. It's the Cardiff against Swansea at the stadium, the big stadium. that The principality, I did that uh, the week after. So I did the stadium commentary for that as well. Uh, and, and what else have I done? Um, my birthday last week on Thursday. So I had a nice weekend. How many years younger are you? You I mean,
1: are you? 47. Are you getting... right? I'm
2: 47, 47. Which, which mentally is tough for me to deal with because it suddenly feels late 70s. 46. <laughs> no, 46 is mid-70s, isn't it? And 47 is late 70s. It's late 40s, I should say.
1: Yes. 46 is I was going to say, you feel that bad. God, that must be a hell of a celebration you had. <laughs>
2: what a weekend that was. I was in the fish for 30 years. <laughs> no, I am. Yes, had a day in Swansea on my birthday, then went down to Portsmouth.
1: What are you going to do All for week? your birthday, love? I want to go to Swansea.
2: Well, I want to go to Cloud, then I have cockles, which is what, exactly what I did do. So I had some cockles in paint cloud on Thursday, then I went down to Portsmouth on Saturday to another person, my friend, who's an uh, ex-Navy man, it was his birthday too, down in Portsmouth, so that's what quite
1: nice. Belting. Um, yeah, it was good. How it, are you? Um, well, I've just been doing this every week, and doing a rugby history podcast and all that stuff as well. If you want to get in touch with me, you can get in touch with me at blood and mud or LeahBloodandMud.com. Mike, you're at Mike Bubbins on Twitter, is that right? you still there? At Mike there, Bubbins
2: or? on Twitter, yeah, or uh, Mike Bubbins Comedian on Facebook if you're, if you're older, but not, not too old.
1: I find myself just lurking on Facebook now. I hardly ever interact with it. I notice you do interact with it quite a bit, but I've kind of given up on it completely. Sure, I do,
2: though, because I'm a massive egotist anyway, is I've, I don't follow anybody on Facebook now. I don't fo- I've don't. stopped following everyone. <laughs> so I only go on there to tell people about how good I am about stuff, but I don't give a fuck about anybody else.
1: That reminds me of Liam Gallagher on Twitter has 2 million followers and yep. he's following zero people.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. He
1: just comes on to broadcast whatever shite he wants to say and then obviously yep. logs off. Uh, So
2: if you want to get in touch via Facebook, let me send a direct
1: message. (laughs) because I don't give a fuck about your life or your wall and that stuff. Uh, We are on Acast and we're on iTunes and we're on Apple podcasts and Castbox, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. We're also on patreon.com slash blood and mud for a bit of extra content. For those of you, who want to give us some support. We did a history episode a couple of weeks ago where we covered the British lions from 1888 onwards, which was I thought quite interesting. Um, there's a, so if you want to go there, give us a few extra quid, and you can get a bit of extra content and give us a bit of support. Obviously, there's the $2 um, Aled Brew Lounge membership. That's what we call it. But if you want to do a bit of extra, the VIP Aled Brew Lounge, where you get nothing but a bit of a mention on here, uh, you can do that for $5 a month. And the people who've done that this month is, thank you very much to Greg Carter, Ian Ferugia, and all the way from Minnesota, Daniel Betectin.
2: Well, well done, people. Yeah. Ian Ferrugia, I oh, know. Oh, do oh, you? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you say those names, I'll sing them. I'll sing those names. We won't charge him any extra. <laughs> so who, who's the first one?
1: Uh, I just you to say Greg, the Greg one
2: Carter. Hello, Greg Carter, and welcome to the podcast.
1: There we go. Uh, Ian Ferugia.
2: Hello, Ian Ferugia and welcome to mm, Blood and Mud podcast. There uh, we go.
1: And then all the way from Minnesota, Mr. Daniel Batectin.
2: Hello, Daniel Protected, I hope you're not a Vikings fan.
1: There we go. <laughs> um, and who apparently, Daniel Protected, apparently I have it on very good authority from someone close to him that he smells. Uh,
2: nice, he smells great. If he's given us money, he smells well, exa-
1: great. <laughs> Exactly, but I'm, I'm only telling you what I've been told, Daniel. I'm sure you know where that's come from. Oh, that's um, a special mention also to Catherine Kavanagh, who was very kindly and voluntarily mined, paid above the face value to be in the VIP lounge. She, oh, you know, she's a. Good, is she Irish? Is it, is she she's is. Good? That's that's yeah, she's Ke- a good
2: girl. She's a good lady. Thank you very much. She likes to laugh. She likes a rugby. She likes to drink. Well, I can get She that. likes
1: Leinster, so she's in a very good mood this week. Um, she is. Judgment she is. Day is this Saturday. They've shifted forty thousand tickets for it, apparently. Fair play.
2: Yeah, well, I was, I was, um, I was sort of semi-approached about doing that again at the stadium, but I, I'd like to be able to do that without having to, without having to stay sober. So I'm going to, um, I'm going down there Saturday, and I'm going down to see the. The principality final, the Cardiff against Merthyr on Sunday as
1: well. Mm. Well, we, me and Josh are down there to see the game, and we're having a bit of a mini oh, yeah. pod. Yeah, a bit of a mini pod gathering. So we'll let people know where we're going to be. Keep oh, your eye yeah. on Twitter if you're in town and fancy having a meet up. Yeah, well,
2: that'd be cool, mate. I might, I'd like to uh, meet you around. Yeah, that, absolutely.
1: On, uh, trying to drag yeah. Paul Williams out as well, so we can put you and Paul Williams will Sartorially put everybody to shame. Well, at different ends of the sartorial spectrum, obviously, but yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no need not to wear a shirt out is there That's the okay. thing. I saw a bloke sure I can only describe as a prick in uh, <laughs> in in Portsmouth. Who must have been if he was if he was a day he was eighty, and he had these sort of uh, those walking shorts on that older people wear with sandals and, and yeah. socks, which is a uh, it's uh, well, I'm not going to run the material about it back. it's quite quick hack. But then the bit the, that struck me was he had that sort of furry that white sort of furry tits that men of an age have. Yes quite wiry, furry tits. And then he had this, like, backpack on, but no top. So you, you're just walking around with it. But it looked, like, from the front, like some sort of bondage wear. But this was in the hotel foyer, though. This was inside a hotel. I just thought, man, no one wants to see your tits. What are you doing?
1: And it's amazing. It's, there's that sort of – there's that, like, temperature division line around about 16 degrees, mm. which is really odd because you in at that temperature, you still have people in, like, coats, but you also yeah. have people like that. 16 yeah, degrees, but, round about there, is when people, some people still wrap up and some people are properly like that, guns like this. There's out a great a photograph
2: of my wife last year, and she's a you know, she's a young, attractive lady. But um, we were on the beach in West Wales. My son and I were in literally swimming shorts. I was in a pair of speedos. Uh, and so the photograph is my, me and my speedos, my son in his swimming shorts, and my wife in a duffel coat, sat on a, <laughs> sat on, sat on a yellow blanket, so sort of wrapped around her knees.
1: Brilliant. Only, only in Britain. I know, that reminds me when I was, I was out cycling You know, in Britain you can't let the weather put you off doing shit when oh, I was sure. when I was cycling quite a bit I was going over Mole Arthur which is in the Clwydian Range in North Wales and if you get to the top of Mole Arthur there's a car park where the walkers park up it was absolutely pissing down in like March mm. and I was moving through it in this sideways rain. and as I came up crested the Mole Arthur to the car park there was a couple sat on folding chairs drinking tea I love it. With that, you know, with the kind of like anorak pulled tight, the kind of snorkely anorak look.
2: Do you know, every time I see that, I, I, I'm up North Wales quite a bit, i in West Wales and whatever, you know, I, I like to be outdoors. Whenever I see something like that, just a tremendous rush of patriotism. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I just think, fuck. what chance had Hitler? That's what I always think. Yes. What chance had
1: he? It's that, was it Bill Bryson, his book says, he can never understand the concept of a windbreaker on the beach. Now, if you need a windbreaker, you shouldn't be there. And yet the British will push on. Oh,
2: amazing. Great.
1: Right then, we start as we always start, well, kind of start, I suppose, with uh, Player Spotted. Mackay1402 reaches in via the DMs to say this. I've got a very old Player Spotted. Before my first daughter was born, we were really? in antenatal classes. And there was a bloke in the group who looked massive. I wondered whether he was a rugby player, and then the following week I saw him playing for Leicester, then he was selected for England, and then the Lions, because I noticed that it was Jeff Parling. Oh, wow.
2: Okay, big, big Jeff.
1: Winner of Beard of the Year one year. Uh, ended up at Exeter, I think he's over in... I can't remember where he is now. But anyway... Um,
2: imagine giving birth to Jeff Parling's child.
1: I'm, I'm imagine the... if he came Absolutely. up with a beard.
2: Imagine if agony. Did you well, do the I,
1: antenatal classes thing, Mike, with your kids?
2: I did, yeah. And then um, I was at the I was at the Ben's birth. We, we had all sorts of issues when my son got born. Um, all, all good in the end, thankfully. But I mean, um, they were trying to put the what this sort of paper gown over my head, and my wife was in agony at the time in the in the, uh, in the um, what do you call it in the uh, delivery the, suite, operating theatre. All right. Um, and they were trying to get this paper gown over my head. And they couldn't get it over my. I got a big suite. I my, my, my got like a you know seven and th- uh, three, three quarter. Yeah, seven three quarter head size. And the nurse that the the, uh, the midwife said, "My God, you've got a really big head, right?" To me. At which point my wife sort of through gritted teeth went, "That's a bit of a sore subject at the moment," <laughs> because my, my son had basically jammed in, in a in a cervix at the time. And uh, yeah, I have got a big suite. I can imagine that Jeff Parlin's seven would have thought <laughs> would have been. Very tough to
1: deliver as well. I didn't do the antenatal class thing, we didn't bother because we're quite because I think because of our like, kind of well, arrogant yeah. smart it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Fine. What's the worst that so, can happen? You got the birth? Of course it was, yeah. mate, and I think what a lot of women don't like to recognise is the fact that, you know, it is worse watching. Oh yeah, much worse watching. you know, we you know, we are the soldiers really. Still don't have to watch it. Much swallowing worse. LucasAid tablets for about seven hours overnight. Do you know what I mean?
2: I do a bit of stand-up work, which, um, but I, I don't mind spunking it on air now and ruining it for, for <laughs> life. But um, I talk about when we have this, these great plans when you have your first kid, you know, and, it, and they just all sort of go out the window, if there's anything that goes up, the end toward happens. And I said that when, the, when they took Kelly into the operating theatre the, when the first one was born, she was screaming her head off on one of those trolleys as we bombed down the, the corridor, or I was running next to her, screaming her head off, screaming her head off. And I said like, I could completely empathise with her. Because we were in such a rush to enter the operating theatre that on the way around the corner, I'd stub my toe on the side of the door there, right
1: well, you know
2: i'm not I'm going fast, I mean I wasn't walking I was going I was going pretty quick at the time, yeah. you know, and it was a solid wooden frame on that door. I said, but then for being a bloke, I just got on with it Of course you, well' exactly. yeah. that's yeah. the big difference
1: and you also the thing we stubbing your toes is not just the pain, it's the accompanying rage you have to try and suppress
2: oh, well, it's I just... swearing! swear toe swears is the best of they are <laughs> you know kids in the house. You, know, you shouldn't swear in front of your kids when they're young and impressionable. But I defy any any, any person worth their salt not to shout, you fucking cunt, when you stub your toe against something.
1: And then, of course, they're bored, and then you have to go to that Ming in preschool bit, which is basically like a gulag with toys. Because you're yeah. just knackered and skint the whole time. <laughs> No, so if it anybody's it's thinking of having kids, I day hey, we love them. They change your world for the better in many ways. Oh, yeah. But it's uh, it's you know it's it's our it's our graft, for that first few years. Yeah,
2: oh, yeah, yeah. The sleep deprivation is no fun. I, I, I see I see photographs of places we went, and I have no recollection of being there at all.
1: <laughs> it's that it's that thing when you've been up for four hours in the winter and it's still dark. <laughs> Can we go out, Dad? No, no, we can't. Why not? Because oh, oh it's still God. dark, isn't it? Daytime? No, it's not daytime. That's a concept thought, you don't understand, you little shit. Like
2: sleep. I had a friend that came around from once we drank a lot of gin in my bar when my little boy was little, and um, I ended up getting really drunk on gin. And the next day, my wife was going back to school. She's a school teacher. I, I had a horrendous I had about an hour's sleep and a, and a very, very, very bad hangover. I was going. I was pleading. The, please, please don't go to school. Please take a sick day, Kelly. Please, I'm doing it for you. Please, please. You're still gonna get paid. Please. She said, there's no way we're going to miss school because you've got to hang over, blah, blah, blah. Went to work. I remember pushing the pram on the local park. We mentioned the rain, right? It started a piss down with rain. And I had a horrendous hangover. I was just watching the rain come off the end of my nose. I just started crying. I had like a proper breakdown under a tree. Right? <laughs> and I phoned her up in work. I'm the, like the emergency number. We only phoned her this as an emergency, right? which means you answer it in the middle of a lesson. <laughs> so she went, what? What's the matter? What's the matter? I went, come on, please. <laughs> she goes, the matter I can't take any more of this. She was
1: fucking ballistic. It was hilarious. But my kids are baby, they used to live in, um, I lived in Grangetown. It's like down near the mile, the end of Grangetown, sort of near where Ikea is. And people who say that, you know, time flies have never experienced a long weekend with babies and no like family to visit. I must have walked around Cardiff Bay about 87 times and it was still only 12 o'clock in the day.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That minute hand doesn't move,
1: does it? No. <laughs> it's like, real it was like when I used to work in the factory and I was home from, in, from college in the summer. The, the the time just would not turn around at all. Oh, mate. Anyway, so yeah, so there you go. Thank you very much for that player spotted, Mackay1402. If, you if you've want if you got a player spotted, you can do it on the DMs or you can email me at com. Don't spare any mundane detail.
2: Oh, yeah, we love mundane detail. Well, as you going to tell, we love mundane <laughs> detail.
1: Uh, let's kick off with some news, shall we? Um, yep. On. Israel Folau's conduct hearing, which he's asked for, has been set for the fourth of May, and they put that's a Saturday, and they put Sunday the fifth of May aside in case it runs over. Although I'm what assuming a, he has to go uh, to church on Sunday.
2: He, please, what a bellend! Honest to God,
1: is not he? What an absolute bellend! Well, it, was it was God's will that he uh, that he got sacked, and then he it was obviously God's will that he then lawyered up to try and get his four do you, million dollars.
2: Do you know what? I've got no problem with, with you can think what he likes, right? Obviously, we're not, not the thought police. He can think what he likes. He can say what he likes within the the walls of that church, right? And he's quite free, he's quite free to say what he likes outside of the church. You can't you can't just do it with impunity. You can't think you can say anything you like, and then there's going to be no comeback of it. But you can say what you fucking like. If you, want, if, you, if you want to say that stuff, say it. What if Gareth Thomas came up the other day and said, um, "I've never been told to go to hell," and thought I was in a loving way? <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm not feeling regret. What did he say? Also- yeah, he said that. He also said. I'm not feeling a great deal of love with what he's saying about me going <laughs> no, to hell. What, yeah. a,
2: what a prick! I mean, and then also just to just to. And it was and Billy,
1: who we were talking about there. I see, but you know, similar thing. Yeah, yeah, I know, but, but I mean, but people just cherry pick, you know. People. The, it
2: seems the more devout a person is, the more they believe completely in, in an all-powerful God. The more they feel inclined to do everything on their fucking behalf. Or well, just let them get on with it. They're all powerful. Let them crack on. They're fine. Can manage without you. Israel Folau bloody. what's he doing? What's he doing?
1: Yeah, so well, he's going to a conduct hearing with a load of lawyers on the Fourth of May. So I imagine there'll be some kind of compromise agreement where there's an unannounced amount of money that he signs to fuck off will be mine. Yeah, is my prediction.
2: Can you imagine the, the the egg on our face if he gets taken up afterwards. There's like an ascension.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? That'll <laughs> shut us all up, won't it? <laughs> hey? <On that>
2: television. <laughs> Holy shit, he's right. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> yes, the ascension into heaven of Israel fell out, good Lord.
2: But you know what, a the cherry pick as well, I mean, he's covered in tattoos, right? Oh, yeah. There's, there's also some in the Bible about not having tattoos, not doing this, not doing that, you know, not, not mixing your cloths.
1: A certain type of fundamentalist Christian seems ov- overly obsessed with homosexuality. Yeah, it's mentioned about three times in the Bible. No, well, give us a fuck about it. It's fine. And even then, it's not to get too technical, but it's all based around the old Greek translation from the word arsenokoitai, which basically means man-bed, but it's also used in different situations. And a lot of the homosexual stuff back then was effectively owners raping underage slave boys that they had. <laughs> Honest Jesus. to God, once you get down this road and try to say, oh no, it's it's not really about, you know, Kevin and Paul. You don't do this in a lot
2: of rugby parties. You don't do you? but it's not, not
1: really about Kevin and Paul wanting to get married who love each other. Do you know what I mean? Fuck off but, if you've got a problem with that.
2: Well, that's ridiculous, mate. But I mean but, but even if as ridiculous as I and then polar to come and just say, I believe what I believe. Well, if fucking Rudolph Hess said that, you wouldn't go, that's fair enough,
1: There's This is one of the things that really frustrates me about this whole discussion. A lot of people are saying, ah, yes, but aha, you're being intolerant by your views on intolerance. So like, yeah, but, you know, and you have to understand why, why they believe what they say. Yes, yeah, so, well, I understand that people from Alabama in the 60s hated black people. Yeah. But I'm still not going to tolerate what they're saying. Do you know what I mean? And exactly. I'm, I'm not saying this is exactly the same as that. But what I'm saying is, if in principle you have to understand and tolerate everything, I don't. That's just a nonsense, an absolute yeah. nonsense.
2: Completely. Yeah. Some things are, by definition, intolerable. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. Anyway, um, there we go. Speaking of pe- things that some people find intolerable, there's talk of uh, Warren Gatland coaching the Lions again. In 2021.
2: Well, as long as he doesn't take the England job after that, I don't mind.
1: (laughs) You can do whatever you want, Warren.
2: Yeah, just don't do that. It's
1: interesting this in that one. He's he's an obvious candidate because he's a fucking brilliant coach. He's done it before, but it makes you think: are there so few outstanding candidates that they just keep going back to him?
2: Well, that's the thing. I mean, he's already said he doesn't. Well, he's been quite cagey actually. That's the thing. He doesn't know where he's going to where his future lies. I I assumed originally he was going back to New Zealand. In which case the Lions' job would be an odd one to take. But I mean, maybe um, he's on about staying in Europe and coaching over here somewhere. Then maybe the Lions' job is is something. Yeah, well, I wouldn't want to be. A, I wouldn't want to be a, one of the other current Six Nations coaches and think that I've like been overlooked for a bloke who's done it twice and doesn't coach in the Six Nations anymore. That's a bit of a strange one.
1: Eddie Jones don't want it. It's an ambassador's job.
2: Is that what he said? Oh yeah. Well, what he would say? Actually, was not going to get it.
1: No, exactly. Yeah. And it's one of the toughest coaching jobs in rugby. Actually, to pull that many players together to try and play the best teams in the world in the space of about three weeks—it's a. Uh...
2: Oh, it must be really hard. And it, but and it's also, I think what, I think what Warren does well, is he, he doesn't get too much into the mind games when it comes to other players. I don't think, because if, if you've got those boys in a change room then and, and you've basically, questioned somebody or, 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 or berated them in the media makes your job a lot harder, I think, if you're trying to coach them, Like That's Eddie true. Jones. Eddie Jones, I know it's a bit of banter, but you're going to come out and say things like, you know, Wales is a little shitty country and Ireland's this. And, and you you then got to get those boys in a, in, a, in, a, in a change. Like you said, with a limited time to get ready and play together as a team, you're going to struggle, aren't you? So it's, it's about, you've it's got to be summarised and ruffle too many players' feathers. I think you can do what you like with committees and other coaches, but you've got to try to keep the players on side.
1: I always thought that was funny when, uh, when Lancaster took over after England had like, just got pissed and thrown dwarves around at the, at the World <laughs> Cup in 2011, and he tried to instill you know into them what it's what it, is, what it means to play for England, and they brought in Keith Senior, who was a prop for Leeds, who was a yeah. magnificent servant and all that stuff, and they brought in Gary Neville. And I thought, what's going to happen when he walks in and all these Liverpool fans go, what's that fucking cunt doing here? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Which is probably what would have
2: happened. At least he didn't bring in like Clive would have brought in, didn't he? Bring in like Alastair Campbell or somebody.
1: He brought Alastair Campbell into a bit of PR Man of the Lions in two thousand and five. Yeah, yeah.
2: What a stake to make that. He also
1: commissioned a, a song, didn't he? Which is
2: well, I I, I
1: do I the do power bemoan, of four.
2: I do bemoan the demise of the sports song. To be honest, I think since they brought in the mega wages into into football, I, I miss um, I miss a good song, and I miss, I miss superstars. And it's the same thing with rugby now. I, I miss. What's wrong with a good song, mate? I think they should have a they should have learned song.
1: There is very a lot wrong with the power of four. Look it up on YouTube, and you you can have a look at it. But uh,
2: is it really bad?
1: Yeah, he was trying to bring something to them all to galvanise around because they don't have an anthem, of course. Because you know
2: it's just got to be a song that the boys want. Like, well, when, and they watch... brought that
1: in, didn't they? Last time they, they had a choir, didn't they? they? Had a choir committee, and they all oh. had to learn songs from different nations. It should just so be everyone like... had to learn Land and everyone had to learn a song from Scotland. Oh, well, that's...
2: And... Any sort of prescribed stuff like that is bullshit. What's his name? Um, was it Bentley? Who, who, who sang the Oasis stuff on the 97 tour? Don't remember. Probably okay. Bentley.
1: Don't know. Anyway, Anyway. moving on. Uh, was, so, yeah, we'll see what happens at Gatling. Song,
2: but don't, don't tell him what to do.
1: CVC, the private equity firm, have bought 30% of the Premiership and now in for 30% of the Pro 14. And yeah, what al- is that? And have already said they won a grand final at the end of the season between the Pro 14 winner and the Premiership winner. Well, what it is is private equity. They can see there's a lot of money to be made.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They're going to make money somehow with it, aren't they?
2: I think there's. Um, I don't know. That's not a daft idea, though.
1: The Grand Final. There's got
2: to be some sort of, I can't believe there's two distinct competitions going on in this country. I want to say this country. I don't want to piss the Irish off. <laughs> I mean, Great Britain, Great Britain, and Northern Ireland, and the Irish Republic. All of us together. Um, I can't believe there's not one thing. I can't, believe two, I can't believe two things. I can't believe there's not one competition for the best teams in, in, in the British Isles, and I also can't believe that when you watch, like when I watch a lot of because I got BT Sports, so I watch a lot more uh, English mm. rugby than I do Welsh rugby. It doesn't sound like, but I do. Um, I can't believe England don't win the British Six Nations every year because their club game is so much stronger than the Welsh game. I think than the Scottish game. Um, the Irish game is obviously is obviously Quite strong, but I just watching. It's like it's it's like watching. It's almost like watching a different sport. I mean that that you spoil really in England. If if you're not watching live Premier League rugby in England on a weekend, what are you doing with your time? Because I mean, it's 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 great to watch.
1: Mm. uh, Yeah, they should. As everybody says, that everybody who isn't English lives in fear of the day when England finally nationally get their fucking act together. Oh, completely. Because very few people should stand a chance in theory.
2: They should get a Grand Slam every year, really. It never happens, which
1: is also great. just you she's really upset about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with this CVC thing. They obviously see there's value somewhere. I'd be interested to see exactly what that is. I'm assuming it'll be something like this, creating, like you just said, not sure what it is, but some kind of expanded competition and flogging it to bigger networks, I'm guessing. And but the fact that the Pro 14 have with... leverages to South Africa will probably help as well.
2: Well, they've got that World Rugby League that they're talking about as well, though, which is going to eat into the season. I don't know when they fill this rugby in.
1: I don't think the World Rugby League is going to happen. You reckon? Because, well, all, all the unions have to agree to it, and I don't think the Six Nations are going to agree to it.
2: Well, Beaumont seems going to hold, doesn't he? I was, I was reading The thing in. is, World
1: Rugby have very little power. This is, the, the, this is, you know, they don't really. All they have is the World Cup and some yeah. international friendly windows. You know, they have yeah. no control over the Six Nations. They're
2: not like the FIFA of. Um, of no. Rugby.
1: No. They have no control of the Six Nations. The Six Nations is owned by itself. They they will only ever go into something they agree to going into. And if you were Scotland, why the fuck would you agree to get relegated? Exactly. Man. Or whoever, if, whoever. To be honest, I mean, but that'll be everyone. Or if, and even more so if you're Italy, why the hell would you agree to get relegated?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope it doesn't happen because I, I, I'm a traditionalist, as we know. But I think it's I think it's nice like, like it is. Lions tours, World Cups, Championship, Six Nations. You know, I just wish there was a way, and I know it's been talked about before, that obviously spent a lot of time in Canada. I wish there was a way that, you know, other North American, the North American sides and, and the other European sides and some, maybe some of the other African sides are just a way to get out of where they are. And, you know, obviously the uh, Pacific Islanders and Japan and those sorts of people, you know. I watched that Japan of the 19 game and they were flipping brilliant. Japan, that was a great game of rugby to watch. They just lost right at the end of it, 42-39.
1: And that was a game you were commentating on, right?
2: Yeah, but I mean, the, the, the I've never seen a team. There was a day when Japan were a small and b the ones who weren't small weren't Japanese, right? Mm. But they were all, with, with two exceptions, they were all Japanese, which is a right swat to pronounce all the time. But I mean, <laughs> when they're doing triple substitutions, it was a bit, it was hard work. But I mean, all Japanese lads, and I've never seen line speed like it, honestly, in defence because because you're pitch side. So that line speed in defence, in like the in at the end of a game, it has been a very physical game. It was insane, and they were they were great lads, Japanese boys, loud. I've never had I've never had training as loud as that. You know, everything was was on these really loud commands. Mm. And then after the game, they all lined up. They'd lost by a couple of points, but played the played their hearts out. All lined up and just bowed to the crowd, like you know, mm. just great bunch of lads. I'm just thinking, you know, Japan beat South Africa. They got a really good under nineteen team that, that pushed a very a good Welsh from the 19 team right to the edge
1: scared England a bit in the autumn yeah and what, what, those
2: lads are never going to get the chance if they stay in Japan and play for Japan other than World Cups every four years to play a really competitive level of rugby I don't know, I don't know what the pathway is going to be for those lads
1: and that's, that was obviously Pichot's problem as the you know the one of the senior guys in World Rugby, you saying, what do I say to Uruguay about what exactly, their games yeah. mean for the next two years? And I can see what he's yeah. saying. I can absolutely see what he's saying.
2: Well, also, I don't know, they've always been trying to flog the game in, in North America. I think that's obviously a big, a big media market, right? But they want, they want meaningful stuff in North America. They, they're not going to go and put money into US rugby if they're not playing or having a chance to play at the top level. They're not gonna, you know, that's never going to happen. It's not in their, it's not in their
1: nature. So, yes, we will see how that pans out. Final yeah. bit of news. Rory Best has announced he's retiring after the World Cup. Great
2: player. Great player,
1: great, player. great servant. Quiet man in many ways. but uh, Yeah. And kind of, I suppose, reluctantly assumed that captaincy. I think. I don't think he was screaming for it.
2: He's one of those quiet leaders, isn't he? He's, you know, he's very much, he's not the bombastic, big noisy. He's just a bloke who does his job really well and gets his head down.
1: And him. everyone respects him, I think.
2: Which is yeah, exactly. Thing. Leads by example, yeah. Like Sam Warburton, the same sort of captain, I think. Mean. Just someone who leads by example. So yeah, he used to be a great servant of rugby.
1: Did you watch the Sam Warburton documentary? Speaking of Sam Warburton, have you watched that?
2: I didn't, mate. Do you know what? I got, I got invited to the screening, but I was working. Um, I didn't see it. So lovely, it
1: lovely. Mo- well, yeah, you know, he's just a lovely bloke, isn't he? He's exactly. a nice family, and he you know, seems like a nice guy. So lovely moments. Um, he talks about when he was sent off in the World Cup in Wales, and he thought, "Oh God, I'm going to get absolutely savage when I get home." And then he saw a load of Welsh fans who all stood up and gave him a standard ovation, in the about he was getting yeah. quite choked up, choked up talking about it. You know, he was really lovely. He's well,
2: yeah. Well, he's he's, he's loved over here, isn't he? he's the thing. He is. So but that go on. A, a, just a fella who, who you, if you listen to his lifestyle, you see his brother, for instance, who's not a very big bloke, and or uh, well, he's not a very muscular bloke. He's, he's quite wiry, and you realise that Sam has put all that size on to play rugby. I just, I just his frame couldn't take couldn't take that level of training, that level of abuse, and you know he never left anything on the pitch, did he? And the,
1: no, indeed. And he talks about that a lot in the documentary. If you watch it, he talks about it? the the fit. Well, he just he just couldn't handle being injured again and the pain and more rehab and.
2: Well, I worked with him last year. Like, I remember coming back and saying, t- 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 I think I mentioned on the pod before, um, and he was brilliant on my son, and he was showing me his his neck uh, surgery and wearing the travel rugby off sort of thing. And I came back and said to my wife, I said, I don't think Sam Bourbon is going to play again. She said, what do you mean? I said, I think he's going to retire. She didn't say that. But I just, you you know when you look at someone's eyes, and think they they don't want to risk this anymore. You know, he's got a young family. And just thinking.
1: And he'd achieved a lot. And it wasn't like he wasn't going to be able to earn moving forward.
2: He's great great what he does. He's a good pundit. You know, he talks well. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, he's retired. Rory Best is retired as well. Uh, what else have we so Well, that's it for the news. Thank you very much. We'll go into the weekend now, shall we? Champions Cup and Challenge Cup semi-finals. i I
2: got my notes here, mate. So I've, I've watched them on. I'm not going to lie to you, your lovely listeners. Uh, <laughs> it was my birthday on Thursday, as I said. I was
1: you on the piss for thirty years. you're now seventy, so you know as long as oh, it rugby happened in between. The
2: piss for the best part of thirty years. Um, <laughs> I was in. We're going to describe as the Gary Lewis State. So three
1: of them. <laughs> were, so, you, were you questioning who people thought they were at any point?
2: It was amazing. I, t- I told you, he's... We're talking about that Wales-Japan game. He's the Welsh manager of the Under-19 team, the coach. So I turned over the stadium to do he went, I ain't babs. I was like, oh, there he is. <laughs> 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 so I was having a chat with Gary. What a nice bloke. And I didn't realise, another mate of mine, Griff, who used to coach, he was the backs coach for the Ospreys. He now runs the academy. Oh, Griff people. Rees? Yeah, you know Griff. Yeah. So Griff said... Um, you bumped into Gerald, didn't you? He said, "What do you mean, Gerald?" He said, "Well, w- <laughs> apparently, with, in W.I.U. circles, he's known. His alter ego is known as Gerald. So he's Gerald, and then he has a few beers, and he turns into Gerald." Oh, I see. And that's the. Uh, but he, he he was definitely Gerald when I spoke to him. He he was he was working, but I mean, apparently, after a game, he's, he's he lapses into Gerald quite quite
1: frequently. I played rugby with he's still one of my best friends, actually, Roger who has an alter ego called Derek when he gets too drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And I'm not going to go into the stories, but you know, you know, it sometimes gets a bit dark. Oh yeah. <laughs>
2: I do.
0: <laughs> Acast recommends podcasts. We love yeah. change is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna.
1: Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Anyway, so Champions so Gary, Cup for the weekend, we had Saracens versus Monster was the first offering. Right, though um, no,
2: Sarries handsomely won. You know, they, they two or three scores a win.
1: It was, and to be honest, it was quite flattering because Munster did score a try, but it was off a questionable sort of dodgy scrum decision that they managed to whip the ball out of, and they were away. So it could have been a lot less. It could have looked a lot worse than it was, to be honest. Sowies your good side, mate.
2: They're a they're, they're, they're a they're a very good side. Um,
1: ben Darwin, so, who's you know the ex um, Australian prop, Ben Darwin. Do you remember him? Yeah. He's yeah. he now runs this kind of management analysis company where he looks at. Um, he specialises in, in the effects of cohesion on performance. Oh, right. and he has different levels of cohesion, like coaching cohesion, board cohesion, staff cohesion, and, and, and tries to do some analysis. I would not pretend to know all of it, but he makes the point that if you look at Saracen, they're almost the perfect model for success because right. whether you like it or not, the board know what they're doing. Yeah, They've had a very clear plan for a while. They've developed the academy. They've got a spine of players they bring through their academy. They don't dump the coach. There's a contingency and con- there's a continuation through all of that. They've got a spine of a team that's been around for ages. They add things on to that spine. So, for example, Liam Williams arriving this year. Mm. You know, do- he's Liam Williams, obviously, but you put him onto a team as efficient as Saracens, yeah. and he brings a bit of that sparkle. And before that, they had Ashton to do that, of course. So there is something about they know what they're doing.
2: I'm sure. I'm sure you would have mentioned it with Josh. But how is how does things like financial controversy now, because obviously they were the, one of the ones that mm. apparently are the, are the worst at it, right? So how does that... that they're going to be London-based clubs, by definition, you, you know. Mm. You know what it's like. to live in London, it costs a bloody fortune. So they're the, they're the teams that are going to... that I'd be looking at re- regarding salary cap infringements, right, mm. it would be the London clubs. So when you say they, they've got a structure there, if they had to keep to that... which they're obviously supposed to. If they had to keep to that... um Salary cap? how would they manage?
1: I don't know, and it's a question that goes to a lot of people, to be honest. I mean, obviously, what I will say is that they've never been caught in significant breach of that cap. No. There's a lot of questions about how does that happen, and something came out recently, which we it's talked huge about. they in depth, though. Yeah, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago that what, what, what turned out was that Nigel Ray, the owner, invests in businesses for yeah. Owen Farrell and some of the other Brad Barrett and a lot of the other leading yeah. players. And he released a public statement saying, Oh, you know, we've told the Premiership about this, we just like making sure they've got a career afterwards and stuff. Now, I don't think that is breaking the salary cap, to be honest, in 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 letter. Is it breaking the spirit? I don't know. But well, you're not telling me it isn't seen as part of the package, you know, that look, all right, we won't pay you this much. What we will do is we'll help you with some seed money for anything you want to do moving on.
2: What I found interesting with that was um, that whole thing it's sort of died down a bit now. But I mentioned it before when I worked on an Exeter, they, they've had a they've had an ethos since forever that they don't go in the red, right? It's all yeah. about the youth. It's all about bringing the they're not they're not a big star main team. they just we talked about um, cohesion, a really good team of lads who all sort of play for each other and, and the coaching structures are, are ex players who, who buy into it as well. And it was interesting to see that of all the clubs, they were the one that was the only one operating in the black was Exeter. and they've been the most successful club for the last sort of two or three years, which mm-hmm. tells you. I mean, obviously, living in the southwest of England, it's not the same as living in Richmond, right? But I mean, there seem to be that seems to be a model that other teams should be looking at because I, I know that Exeter are very hot on their on their youth programs and on their recruitment stuff.
1: Ironically, so are Saracens. I mean, you look at you know half of their squad half of their squad has come through, half of their starting team on Saturday, or closer to it, came through their academy rank. What they then decide to pay them once they come through is interesting, because obviously the market is what it is. The trouble is, is that it becomes like financial doping, because everybody knows the salary cap's being broken somehow, and I'm pretty sure it is. Um, And yet nobody really wants to talk about it. It becomes like cycling. you know. We all know it's happening. It's doping in cycling. We all know it's happening, but none of us wants to fuck up our teams, right? So let's just... Let's just keep going and then nothing actually gets dealt with about it. What well, you can't argue with the fact, but I mean, if you leave the salary thing aside, if you let's just say they were all paid 50 quid a week. If you look at what they put on the pitch in terms of the, the way they approach their coaching, the way they approach their retention, the way they, you know, the, 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 their fitness levels and all that kind of stuff, you know, you can't argue with that. You can talk about it. No, they're great team to watch. Yeah. I love watching them play rugby. It's
2: just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, they either, I think they either have to just they need to look at the cap thing. Obviously, you either get rid of it, in which case you're going to have like three or four clubs every year, or you're going to need to rewrite it and work out something. Although, like I said, at the moment it's working well because the team that doesn't exceed the cap and the team that's not in debt is the team that's winning the league. So,
1: it's an interesting it's an interesting comparison to make, isn't it? Because it is kind of it's an interesting comparison to make because actually you could say well actually the only way you can do it is by breaking the cap, but that obviously isn't true, is it? Exeter well, I look at the
2: crowds they get and look at the the sort of strength of the club game in England. I have got it. You see, too, when I see games being played for like 40,000 people, I'm bloody hell, you know. And then you see extra, like I said, extra extra winning stuff. Part of me thinks if it's not broken, don't fix it. You know? Just leave it. Unless you, like you said, let turn a blind eye to it. Mm. Just, the actual product is good, you know.
1: So, yeah, so back of the game, yeah, I mean, they were just ruthlessly, ridiculously efficient. Uh, Ty Byrne, who plays a Munster, who's normally a... I saw. I actually went to the Edinburgh game when Munster played Edinburgh in the quarters, and Ty Byrne was immense. He was everywhere. Was he? Although, you see, this is the first time I've seen him not wearing his blue scrum hat, and he wasn't as effective. You know, just, is it as simple as that? I, I, I'm I, saying yes. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Uh, yeah, I've
2: only ever wore a scrum hat once in my career. I, I got... But eight stitches in my eye so it not bother <laughs> you
1: yeah. gave him a target area to hit
2: <laughs> exactly I yeah, just made a bigger target um, what about Vinopoulos Vin- Vin- got man of the match didn't he
1: he did get man of the match yes he did okay. and he played well actually he played well I mean there's some arguments we made that Farrell Chris Farrell the centre for Munster played very well in a losing effort but you don't tend to give man of the match to teams that have just lost because you've got to stand mm-hmm. and do uh, an interview with a with a face like Joe Launch in 2015 after the Wales game if you remember that one um, yeah, I do. Yeah. So, th- did,
2: yeah, so did, did BT sh- shy away from that at the end with the old all that all the fallout stuff and all that all that? They didn't
1: shy away from it because they actually Sarah Elgin, in fairness, asked the question. She did say, you know, has it been a tough week given that you've and she mentioned something about it was self. Well, she's imp- good
2: mate with Gareth Thomas as well.
1: Yeah, and she said, you know, you, your self imposed problems. She kind of made that point that actually you brought this on yourself, yeah. sort of thing. But then when his response, as you said earlier at the top there, his response was kind of, well, you know, yeah, I've, I've felt supported by people close to me, and we've had a good, you know, we've won now, and, and anyway, you know, I'm sorry if I hurt anybody, but I believe in what I believe in. And then that was the end of the interview. Now I've had some discussions with, uh, I had a discussion on Twitter with Tim Cocker, who's off the egg chasers, who works for BT. And I said, to me, it seemed like a very, that seemed like a very obvious point to say. So you're saying you still believe the fact that homosexuals are like liars and they're going to go up, to hell? Yeah. Um, he said it's not that obvious because that's not the forum. It's like, well, why ask the question in the first place then? And I think the thing is, it was the kind of final sort of like top hat on the two hours they'd spent on this kind of redemption narrative with him. All they kept talking about what a terrible week he'd had what and he's how had. now he's smiling and stuff like that.
2: Well, imagine a 15, 16-year-old gay kid who loves rugby, What a mother shit week he's had, you know what I mean?
1: There is that. And I mean, from a sporting point of view, he probably did have a bit of a tough week. And he's yeah. performed well at the end of it, you know. If you were just gonna just pick that as a narrative, you can do that, but it doesn't seem to me like it seemed like a a, a poor editorial choice. Yeah, you know, but it would is is where I'd leave it. Especially when he juxtaposed that against Channel Four the day after, who were interviewing Gareth Thomas, obviously.
2: Yeah, well, so we mentioned one earlier. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So okay. I don't think it, it's it's the trouble is with BT, and it was the same when Steve Diamond had that big row with that journalist Sam Peters. A few months ago and Sam Peters seems a bit of a tit to me to be honest as well. But then Martin Bayfield interviewed Dimes the week after. And the whole thrust of that of that interview wasn't kind of well, why did you behave like that? And do you think it's right that the director of rugby should do that with a referee, with a with a journalist? The whole thrust of it was kind of so, Steve, would you say you were right with what you did last week? I you know, know it was, <laughs>
2: This weak, isn't it?
1: And I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think you have to remember that they're there to sell subscriptions, aren't they? They have to present that rugby's this wonderful package that you would never, ever question.
2: Yeah. And it's £80 a month, the bastards, as well. That's what I do. Bro. That's what I do.
1: <laughs> I get mine. I'm on BT. I'm on the internet. So, I, you know, we get... listeners. if you think I get anything free from doing this, I fucking don't. I have to pay for it like everybody else. I did try once to say, can I get uh, the... Uh, but they wouldn't yeah. do it.
2: No. Okay, that's... Yeah, eighty quid a month, BT.
1: Swines. That's all. mind you, that's 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 not just a sport though, is it? That's that's everything. Gotta be. Have you got BT yes, TV t- as well?
2: It's the landline that we use about four times a year. And it's um it's BT TV that the kids never watch because they're watching YouTube as well.
1: My landline, the you know, it's a, a cordless. I don't know where the, the phone is. I've not <laughs> seen the, the phone, the landline phone for about four months. I don't know where it is.
2: I got a proper it up. Op- Proper old school um, orange, um, nice one. phone, yeah.
1: Well like the, what the kind of one, the kind of square oblong one.
2: Yeah, the oblong one with the long handle. That goes yeah, on yeah.
1: The top, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you would, yeah. Not a Baker line. That's before your time, and it? it's before yeah, your era.
2: Sure,
1: Do you yeah, sing so with think, one of those thin microphones point as point
2: well? There's an interesting point you made there about the difference in coverage when you look at, say, a public service broadcast like the BBC. You know. And people whose whose job like BT's number one job, like you said then, I've never thought about it in that term before, is to sell BT subscriptions. Yeah. Mm. So if you piss off enough people, I suppose, you 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 gotta try and keep people sweet, otherwise they're not gonna keep shutting up the eighty quid a month, I suppose. I don't, I don't know. It's a weird one.
1: Nothing else, the sky's the same. Everything every game is brilliant on sky in the football, isn't it?
2: Oh yeah, man. When it's not. Oh, brilliant, 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 yeah, good. And I, and I try to make this one worried about rugby. If, if, they, if, this, if they do this thing with the... Um, if they bring in another level after that, you can't... I, I think what ruined cricket... Two things ruined cricket. I know this is a rugby podcast, but two things ruined cricket in this country. One was they took it off-terrestrial TV completely, but then two was they had so many competitions because it went off like... The people just didn't know what the fuck was going on or who's winning what, you know? And I think that's something that rugby is already in a bit of danger of, and I don't think you want to bring any more... I don't like winning the league and then not winning the league. You know, I don't like.
1: I don't have a problem with playoffs because they're here now. I I I think there should be a tr- a minor championship trophy at least to recognise you won the league. I think there's something in that. There's something, yeah.
2: You, you finish first after week in week out for a season, and you but you don't get anything. It seems a bit odd to me. It seems, it seems anathema to me as as a old fart who played rugby back in the day.
1: What annoys me about when the BBC lost cricket, everyone went mad to go back to that. But I think people forget how fucking shabbily the BBC treated cricket. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, it was a really dull coverage, and then they'd be cutting away to racing at fucking Kempton every hour. <laughs> you know, it just and it's like, you. sorry, you've missed three wickets because you'd just be watching some like, awesome that was, that was, non-event that was, at Bangor-on-D, you know.
2: That was like pre-2020 cricket. Yeah. You cut away three hours of the races and you'd miss two runs. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. One team in white that scored another two runs. You weren't quite sure which one
1: it was. Jack Bannister with his drawling Warwickshire accent commentated. <laughs> they talk about people, what cakes they
2: had been baked by people. You know, oh, fucking, that's not Amazing. enough action for me. Yeah. That's
1: not enough action. Anyway, so Munster, talk about Munster. Um, yeah. To go back to the game. I think Munster, I, if I was a Munster fan, which I'm not, but if I was, uh, great fans, by the way. I was sat amongst them in Edinburgh. They were great. But... um if I was a Munster fan, I'd be quite happy, actually. I think, I think getting to the semi-finals is probably a little bit above par for them this year, given the fact that they're not quite where they need to be. And I think Saracens showed that, the point I made before, about that core of a Saracens team plus Liam Williams. They've got Elliot Daly coming next year as well, Saracens. All within oh. the salary cap, you understand. And, um, and Munster are not, quite, my, are not quite there.
2: My mate Brian Davis, I think I mentioned this before as well, he used to scrum out for of Saracens back in the day. He's a Barry boy. He's, yeah. working with he's, either one who,
1: he's either one who was sacked the second they went professional. <laughs> Literally, like, I don't him the
2: second hand has swept around back to the 12. You <laughs> <laughs> went from captain to fired in a minute. It was brilliant. <laughs> oh, yeah. boy, boy. So Didn't
1: there know. you go. So Saracens march on to the final and they they will play Leinster, who beat to lose 30 points to 12.
2: Yeah. And and stopped losing any tries, which is uh, yeah.
1: Which this year is quite an achievement given their attacking yeah. uh, form behind. And but do they play, they play the young
2: lad at um, fly half?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. Uh, what should What's we do the with the start? best young yeah. scrum half in Europe? Oh, I know, should we play him at yeah. ten in a semi final? <laughs> which is just yeah, the perfect go. France scenario.
2: And then you got a you got a Six Nations ten on your bench watching it happen.
1: Yes, I don't know if Intermax. I don't know. Somebody might clear this up for me. The listener, I don't know if Intermax been injured. I don't think so. I think it was just a bit of a daff. So Sebastian Bezou is, it? yeah. But I wonder if he, I don't know if he's coming back from injury onto the bench. If you know what I mean, so he wasn't fit to start. But
2: no, he's about to laugh.
1: Well, they did. Surely that's and, and, and uh, I hate that situation. The number of times that people suggest changes that weaken two positions at once. You know when people want to put George North in at outside centre. It's like what the fuck Go are you on, doing mate, that for?
2: I look at Parisian Italy, playing like everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's just like... Fall
2: back, I'll do it, I'll do it. Hold all back, you do yeah. is
1: weaken in two positions. You put, you put De Pont at 10, you've weakened your scrum half or you've weakened your 10. What's the point in doing that? It's
2: ridiculous.
1: But I mean, even with Sabonte at nine, I think it would have been a better showing for Toulouse, but Leinster... So Leinster
2: all, all over them by the
1: sound of it? Absolutely and completely all over them.
2: Uh, so that's quite a flattering, that 30-12, a pre flattering goal on them. I
1: think, yeah, well, yeah, well, it's probably as it was, but could have been worse. James Lowe played brilliantly, their winger, with the ponytail, the, the, the Kiwi winger that they've got. But Toulouse
2: got that old-school French forward pack, like, like, you know, like big like sideboards in shorts like in the old days. You know, you know the sort of fellas I mean?
1: They have, yeah. They played Joe Takori at seven, who's, I think, 18 stone.
0: That
2: oh, magic.
1: they hope space for me well, yet. Or six, something like that. Jerome Kano's there at a the minute. so obviously. He's... I'm on
2: 19 stone seven. Can I get a game?
1: I don't know, you might, have, you, might go, you might go in at 10 next week.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that'll be happy.
1: But yeah, so what we ended up with was a final that, um, and Johnny Sexton was back to his kind of best as well, really. What we've ended up which after a slightly indifferent few months, what we've ended up with is the final that probably everybody kind of deserves, because they are probably the two best teams in Europe. You could have predicted it weeks ago. It would have been nice yeah, to yeah. see something slightly different, but you're going to get a very, very competent and very well-rounded final.
2: When
1: is it? It's in two? It's a week Saturday, isn't it? no. It's May, May the it's not the eleventh, the eighteenth, is it? I think. Oh, it? It's one of them. okay. On so the fourth to Saturday. I thought it, it was
2: earlier.
1: It could be the eleventh then. I don't know. It's in Newcastle. They're all in Newcastle. Oh,
2: all rugby!
1: Do you remember yeah. when the, the, the rugby league played the magic weekend where every every team plays a game in yeah, one brilliant. stadium.
2: They did. Well, they did one in. Um, they did one in the Millennium Stadium. They did,
1: yeah. But I loved when they took it to Newcastle. Just the entirety of working class sort of Lancashire and Yorkshire decamping to Newcastle for the weekend, like an the biggest stag do you've ever seen, would have it's been good. magnificent.
2: I think that's. A, I think that's great Same with this. Um, I didn't realize watching the Bath loss game the other day that Bath had elected to do that. And, you know, to take the game up there. But I think going to other stadiums for big games is a great plan. And I think if you can, if you can put two teams, two games on, like the uh, the Judgment Day weekend, that's really got traction here. And I think they've shifted, we see like 40,000 tickets for Saturday, 40, which is which is, that's unheard of in Welsh Club Rugby. The if right you just years. played
1: them at the normal home venues, you'd probably get an aggregate of twenty thousand going, wouldn't you?
2: If you're lucky, honestly, if you're yeah. lucky, twenty thousand, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, but there, there will be people on the pitch, and that gets them of the tits as well. By the way. When, um, no, but they're on about these alcohol-free zones for, you know.
1: Yeah.
2: People complain that people at rugby are, are, are on the piss. They watch the first game, then they stick around and watch the second game. But for the second game, they're pissed. Well, they, they're watching, they're blokes watching a rugby games. That's fine, honestly. Or women watching rugby games. Oh, women
1: as well, yeah.
2: I imagine, yeah. I mean, well, what's the big deal? I'm trying to watch a game and someone kept getting up for a piss next to me. Fuck off. What, what, what are you... What are you missing? Half a second of action. When you see an arsehole past your face, what's
1: the big deal? And the um, I went. I like stand
2: up four times in the first half. Fuck off.
1: <laughs> I went to watch Warrington Wigan in the Rugby League Grand Final at Old Trafford a couple of years ago, and there was a, a, a minibus a lot of Wigan fans obviously rocked up to sit next to me. And there was one bloke who walked in about half an hour before kickoff, and he was the most pissed man I've ever oh. seen. Imagine. Half an hour before kickoff, dribbling down his Wigan top. And then promptly fell asleep.
2: Yeah, lovely, lovely. 30 Big day out, is it? You know, we're looking
1: forward to this for weeks. Oh, magic. Challenge Cup, yeah, I then.
2: Don't, I don't see the problem with that. Anyway, go on.
1: Challenge Cup, then. Uh, I, you know, if the champ, I see that the Champions Cup is a bit like the very high-quality boxing match that happens inside the arena between two very high-quality professionals. The Challenge Cup, if this weekend anything to go by, is a little bit like the piss lads who weren't allowed into the boxing match and are yeah. now having a running fight in the car park. This
2: is two gypsies, if I can use that word, or travellers, on a canal towpath yes. who are screaming down, a, screaming down a, a phone, giving up their phone number, offering to fight anybody for a fiver. Yes. Cool.
1: <laughs> and they
2: want. In an ashtray, come on, you're <laughs> big man out here. I'm going to fight him in the car park. I'll fight any man. A very dainty man, and you watch a YouTube clip, it's amazing. Yeah. And it'll, it'll be like four blokes, two blokes in two seconds, just stripped to the waist and your bottoms on, just going at it. Look, very, few, very few good punches being thrown, but brilliant to watch.
1: What I love about the gypsy fights is they don't end until you say,
2: had i enough. give up. Yeah, Have you had enough? Have you had enough?
1: Have you had There's enough? like YouTube videos of the ones where it goes dark while they're fighting. It's amazing. And like you can get, they chin them out, and then they just stand around until the guy gets up again to see if he's going to say, yeah, i, I give up. Enough. And he goes, no, we're going to go again.
2: just for 20 minutes.
1: Talk about concussion and fucking second impact syndrome. Do you know what I
2: mean? Good lads. I love them. Right. So, uh, so yeah. So this is, this is that, really. This is, this this is that,
1: yeah. This is the madness outside, yeah. La Rochelle
2: 27. La Rochelle, I mean, where do they come from, La Rochelle? I mean, to me, I'm a 47-year-old male. La Rochelle was just a place in the, in the trickle of book when I'm learning French. <laughs> I was going to
1: say that. There was always that family who were going to Jabit on La Rochelle, <laughs> had, weren't they? Yeah. I
2: have no idea it was a real place like about
1: <laughs> Yeah, so, th- well, they've been around for a couple of years in the top division and I play some a Piscine, very nice rugby. I know
2: that for a fact. There's a Piscine and a Le Col there. I know this.
1: <laughs> and uh, Yeah, they, they play some very, very nice rugby. They've got a very nice kits, kit. black and yellow, but not quite like Wasps. That's very nice. I think he's on their so, coaching staff. Do you remember? Um, that's
2: a good win, because Sale's a good side. So, I mean, if they've beaten Sale...
1: Sale are a decent side, not so much away, but they are... What? I mean, Larachelle were looking like they could win the league last year, I think, for, for a period. Didn't quite did quite happen for happen.
2: Who's, who's the not young, young... When you when I push him 50, everyone's suddenly a young player. <laughs> who's the um, Scrum off, the South African dude? Uh, Club. Faf, Faf, yeah. I watched him play the other Looks week. Looks like so Sharon
1: he, from EastEnders.
2: Oh, he's amazing though, isn't
1: he? He's a fantastic player. He, he yeah. just
2: loves it. He didn't stop smiling. He was absolutely electric. So, was, was he playing in this game?
1: He was, yeah. They were pretty. The, Curry, Curry, the Currys were playing. Josh Beaumont, all the big lads were out. It's,
2: it's a good win for Lara I mate. Mean, it it may, or may or may not be in a car park, but that's still a good win. Chris
1: Ashton, Deli Solomona. <laughs> Imagine how good they'd be in a car park.
2: <laughs> what a fight that'd be, isn't it? <laughs> And then Gerard Lewis walks in halfway through, just carrying four <laughs> bottles of beer and a big cigar.
1: Gerald's <laughs> yeah. fucking here, bet. Gerald fucking fucking a minute. <laughs> anyway, both teams conceded. Well, one team, Larry Shell conceded 20 turnovers, and Sale conceded 18. That's the kind of game it was. That's all you need to know.
2: And a penalty try and a high tackle. Yeah. i got quick I quickly mention high tackle. I, I got into it, not a spat the other day. It was, it was quite well natured. Um, on uh, Twitter about this, there was a there was a, a penalty trade. It, it might have been this game actually. Was it when the, when he came across and tackled him on the wing, and got his head the wrong side?
1: Uh, no, try. that that was. I don't know which one you're talking about. It wasn't this one.
2: I watched that one thinking, and everyone was saying, "Well, this is ridiculous." You know, he's a six foot six man. He's bent at the waist. What, what else is he supposed to do? I thought, well, the first thing he's supposed to do, mate, is tackle him with the correct shoulder, right? If someone's <laughs> coming, if someone's coming down the wing, and you put your head in front of where their body is, right? You're, you're immediately asking for trouble. If you put your head behind their arse where it's supposed to be, you're told from the age of five to put your head. Then that's not going to be a high tackle in a million years. It'd be impossible a high tackle. It. So I know they're going to try it in France next year. I think they're trying in one of the lower divisions. It's got to be waist and below tackles.
1: And yeah, I Yeah, they, 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 the they tried nipple line and below in the championship, but they nipple ended the, the, the so... end ended the end of the trial quite early. It wasn't quite working.
2: Doesn't work, just say waist, just say waist and below, all right? Because the, the things they want to take out safety wise, right, is obviously Jacqueline and the ruck is where a lot of the injuries happen now on a, on a tackle area. If you bring in a, a waist high tackle, like short and below, two things. One is you're you're taking that head injury out of the tackle situation almost completely. Secondly, you've got two arms free, you've got offload, you're rucking, you know, going to the floor with the ball is going to decrease greatly, right, because you keep the ball alive. So you're doing two things. You're keeping. There's more attacking play. There's more offloads, and there's less head injury. I just don't know why they just don't just do it. I don't understand it.
1: Yeah, well, they're trying this for now. I think the thing is about two. This when this came out in about eighteen months ago, everyone went, and I included myself in this, going, "Oh God, what's this going to do to the game?" And you know, are we not going to see as many like you know big tackles and and all that stuff? But actually, eighteen months in. There's nobody that can say to me, "This looks like a game I don't recognise anymore." It's just nonsense. It doesn't have that much effect on the game at all. Or well, sure the only effect just... it has now is it has things like that you just mentioned. What yeah. it has is is people replaying decisions. Go, do we think that's right? There's lots. Yeah. There's these very long discussions about it. But actually, if you watch every game, there aren't shitloads of cards for it. It hasn't changed how people play. It's just basically driven the tackle down a little bit, so you just yeah, don't see a, it. Quite and much. the
2: lower, the better. You think of someone like I'm a huge Justin Tipperick fan, right? I think he's our best tackler in a in a very good defensive team. He never tackles above the waist. He's an absolutely devastating tackler. But I think I think I think the ball becomes so important. You, you, I understand why you're going higher. all there's big collisions, you want you want to stop the offloads. you want you want to attack the ball, not the player. I can see that. But as soon as you bring in things like nipple line that are very arbitrary and very ambigu- you know ambiguous, you're asking for players to slide up shoulders into jaws, heads into heads. If you said waist and below, you take that out straight. And no one's no to tell me that Tipperick's not a rock-out player and great to watch, mm. right? So it can be done. But it's, it would just take – I think there's a thing. like I, I played against Polynesian lands a few times. I, I think that maybe they are coached differently from a young age. There seems to be a lot – I think with that, a lot of that high tackling sort of came in with Samoan rugby and Tongan rugby were quite synonymous with it. Um, I told you before, Phil Steele, who's a mate of mine who does a lot of the commentary, he said uh, when they put that nipple line thing in, he just it was the best tweet of all time. He said, it's like we're always taught in school, they can't go anywhere without their nipples. <laughs> <laughs> we are always told, take the legs, take the legs, waste and below.
1: I think a lot of it came in with rugby league coaching. Every, yeah. si- every <laughs> single team got a rugby league defence coach. And I can remember, I played rugby league at a very shit level, and we were, we were coached to tackle like um, like a boxer would stand.
2: All in all.
1: One foot, right. one foot in front of the other with your hands up, keep your yeah. feet moving, and as they come into you, then you drive into them with your shoulder.
2: Yeah.
1: Bang, you know, and that's, and that's what you do because you wrap the ball up and all that stuff. Well, that is when it changed.
2: That's when it changed.
1: And I think that's that kind of thing has come in. And, we, and I was coached by a lad who'd been at Bradford Bulls for a few years and stuff, so we have been at the kind of forefront of the coaching. And, um, yeah, so I think that's that's what it is. And now, to be honest, if you watch rugby league now, if you watch rugby league as a rugby union fan, you just watch it and go, "That's a red card." They're not even given oh, a penalty yeah. for Sorry. it. That's a red card. I'm not even giving a penalty for it. Oh no, no, yeah, it's nuts. No,
2: I love it, but I mean, just saying.
1: Oh yeah, well, it's like that's the thing. If, if any rugby union fans say the game's gone soft and they want to watch a game where people can get their, their heads absolutely smashed in, just go and watch rugby league. It's <laughs> yeah, quite it's
2: straightforward. It's, yeah, <laughs> but joking. to go back to
1: Solomon attack, the Solomon tackle. The reason why it was slightly controversial is that the La Rochelle play was diving for the corner.
0: Hmm.
1: So he he was coming across and, and he was low and he was trying to obviously get underneath him to lift him up and out. Yeah. But he ended up coming over that he kind of hit the shoulder come over the top and caught him around the neck. So then if it was diving that,
2: that, I mean that's hard that's so hard to
1: I think what the know. new rule would say is and what the what the people who are bringing the new rule will say is you have to accept at that point you've been beaten.
2: Well they make it like taking a high ball, you know, if you're in the air you can't be touched. And they can do the same thing. You're almost rewarding um, attack in play, especially, you know, if a wing is close enough to be able to dive into over the try line, there's your try. You
1: yeah, know. and I think what they're saying is is that if your only way of stopping this is to throw your sort of shoulder towards their head and shoulder, then mm. you've been beaten and you'll yeah. get penalised for it.
2: I don't think it's fair enough.
1: And this is what Nigel did. He called him over and he said, look, it's a penalty. He actually tackled him into touch, but if you hadn't gone high, he'd have scored... Therefore, mm. it's a penalty try and it's a yellow card for you because you twatted him around the head. Yeah, Nigel. By the way, he needed it. I tell you what, he should be given a fucking Tony Award for this game. He was <laughs> all like... over it. He went to the TMO about nine hundred times. He was bringing up <laughs> all the cheeky lines sort of and everything.
2: What he brings up, when he brought up both teams before. He said that one that was a classic, wasn't it? Yeah. And then he, uh, he was mic'd up. Now we want to make a big thing about oh, that. That was amazing. I just brought thirty people in.
1: Yeah, bring everybody in. Yeah. Get
2: him in. Get him in. <laughs> in. Get them in. Get him in. Get Three minutes later, get him in. I'm going to be thinking about this. <laughs> yeah. All, right. All right, then, don't you? I okay. think
1: we'll, he, he can be very frustrating of late, Nigel, but I do think we'll miss him when he's gone.
2: I think with Nigel, he, he's, a, he's a good ref, right?
1: Have you um, come across
2: him in stand up circles and stuff? God, that sounded bad. <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> Um, I have I've, I've, I've worked with people who have worked with him and I did a when I was teaching I did a um, I did a refereeing course and he led the he was very good actually he led, led the refereeing course and I think he's a. I think he's because he's Welsh speaking he's quite a celebrity in Wales uh, so he's got his own mm. you know he, he does a lot of work with John Davis on Welsh speaking TV they got a lot of their own sort of chat show um, and he's he's a very charismatic bloke but he's, he's got a obviously his story an interesting story of what he's been through and he's been a real spokesman for that as well so he's he's much bigger than he's probably bigger than all but about half a dozen the players in world rugby is is the thing right and mm. it must be, it must be hard if you're him not to live up to that so I I don't think he ever goes out on a game thinking I'll just keep this one well on the down low today I mean you know
1: and he is he is isn't he you can't expect he was a referee without the personality that's why
2: I think, a distra- I think he's a fabulous referee of I course th- he is yeah he's very he's very uh, charismatic very idiosyncratic but I mean. I think the downside of that is, which is nothing, it's not his fault in the slightest, is he sort of spawned a generation of younger referees who who are all the all the stuff that Nigel does well. They think that's refereeing. So they end up sort of, I, I watch games and it drives me to fucking distraction. I, I mentioned it when they don't shut up, right? Mm. Referees aren't as good as Nigel. You know, you just think, just shut up, just let him play some rugby, right? Because what he... As whatever, Nigel, whatever else Nigel might be, as an entertaining referee to watch. He is a very good referee.
1: Yeah, and there was a period of about three years where every best game that you watched, he was in it, and that, that wasn't a coincidence, you know? No, yeah, completely. And um, I think the thing is, he has that kind of... The thing with Nigel is, is that he is a complete one-off. The way you can yeah. do that personality of his and, and, and the accent and everything about it, really, means he's the one-off, which means he can't be imitated. It's like, it's like the number of football managers who try to be Brian Clough...
2: Yeah He's it's like, like stop
1: you can't do it.
2: That has been done Yeah you know Clark. he
1: was a one off you know just don't try you know. And there's something about that about it, I think. So yes yeah, so a Larochelle march on to the final. Uh for an all French final against because they're going to play Clermont Auvergne in the and who beat Harlequins in the semi. Clermont of course it's amazing they were in this tournament because normally they should be all over the Champions Cup because they're Clermont but they had a horrible year in the league last year. And it's almost like they came into this this tournament saying we're just going to fucking smash everything under our feet, which they had done right up to half-time in this game.
2: Well, and then and then, buddy Kyle Sinclair, the tool, <laughs> as a, as his usual brain fart, right? I don't know, he's a bloody liability, that man.
1: Imagine how good a player he'd be if he just keep that under control. But that's like saying that's like saying imagine how good a player he was if he had
2: both his legs. Right? <laughs> the fact is, they keep saying that about him, but he does it every fucking game. He did. He did it. He did it against Wales. He did it in the Six Nations at a really bad time. He did it at his club at a really bad time. They're in a the semi-final year, and he, he gives away three stupid penalties. Almost breaks a bloke's neck with a suplex. <laughs> do you, do you think at what point do you keep saying, do you know, if he wasn't such a fucking liability, he'd be a good player? Well, the fact you're a fucking liability, I mean, means you're not a good player by definition. You're not good to anybody on the, on the touchline. You're not good to anybody giving away 9, 12, 15 points a game. No, doesn't matter how good a scrimmager you are no matter how good you are on the loose, right? If you're giving away points and points and points, and people and people know that now, people aren't stupid, you know, I'm sure, I'm not on those changes, but I'm quite sure that people say, Carl Sinclair, let's wind him up, first 20 minutes, get him sent off, get a yellow card, get some penalties out of him.
1: It's going to happen. And it looks like it's quite easy to do, doesn't it? Oh, he's got no fuse at all.
2: So physically, I agree with you. I mean, he's got all, he's got all the physical attributes. He's a bloody beast, you know? He's He's, good, he's very good at what he does, apart from the fact that he's a f in liability. And, and, and you can't... If that's that ingrained in his personality, if you, if you can't switch on for 80 minutes or 60 minutes in a semi-final or in a, a big rugby game or in a Six Nations match or in a possible Grand Slam decider, right? well, then you're not going to switch on. That's in you. It's just in you. It's like saying to George Best, you know, you'd have had a much longer career if he wasn't a pisshead. Yeah, but he was a pisshead. <laughs> Carl is a liability. He will, he will get sent off again. He will give away yellow cards. He will give away stupid
1: penalties again. That it's, will happen. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, we just to mention, obviously, on the Patreon, we did our first Rugby Life interview with yourself where you told some very funny stories about how you used to lose all of your shit quite yeah. regularly. And yeah. obviously, you don't do that now. So there's a point at no. which you can start to decide how you deal with getting angry. And, and, and you know the point like, you made about, you, well, you know, he's a liability and that's that. But actually, there must be a way, you know,
2: I don't think there is no way because if if I was playing rugby again, you say that, right? And I'm, I'm I'm a dad now with kids who does stand up and act a bit and write a bit, and that's my job, right? But I played fucking on, mate. I played touch rugby like three or four years ago, and I'm getting sent up in touch rugby games. You know, I'm getting... <laughs> <laughs> it's very specific to what you're doing. I mean, if I if I if I had a game of rugby now, like dads against kids, I <laughs> I'd be Kyle Sinclair. I would. I couldn't. I couldn't stop myself doing it. I know that I couldn't. Like it's just in me. In a game of rugby.
1: So I was yeah. hoping some nice Zen enlightenment then about how you learn to let go and you know. <laughs> well,
2: I just learned to stop playing rugby. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that reminds me of when I'm I'm sometimes on a diet and I go to bed at eight o'clock at night to stop yeah, myself it's... from eating. I'm going to, I'm fucking going to bed because <laughs> otherwise I'm going to eat that fucking arrow that's in the fridge. I'm going. Oh,
2: yeah. So I mean. Yeah, I've, I've completely calmed down now. And I've refereed games and i coach my kids rugby and it's great. But I I know that without a shadow of a doubt if I was playing again, I'd be a bloody nuisance. Again. I would be. <laughs> uh, and, that's, and that's no good to anybody.
1: Can't you, do it. Are you even like that with a vet? Would you
2: play Barry Vets? Oh, it's hilarious I play vets mate. I played a vet's game... I played a time I played a vets about four or five years ago. No, I played about four or five years ago we played a French team that came over... He had an outside half. who looked like Larry David. Like, he must have been pushing 70. <laughs> I almost decapitated this poor old. Honestly, he was...
1: it was... I mean, because it... of his cotton wool taste, that he turned up with a backpack and no top on?
2: <laughs> he did look like <laughs> so, I was scrum Just said, so put a bit of pressure on you, but we had like scrum five near their line. So in my mind, that meant whatever happens now, just clatter the outside half. Even if he's <laughs> got a bus pass, you know, I've got a colostomy bag, well, I don't care. And I needed to kill this poor old prick. Oh, was, what um, do you was, think
1: I just asked you to do then? Talk me through it. And he
2: came up, and said, What the fuck are you doing? And then like, all, <laughs> all the French boys are kicking off. And I said, You told me, to, you, I said, you told me heads up. He said, Heads up, bubs. Look where we are. He said, Yeah, but don't mean fucking kill an old man. <laughs> like, well, I almost killed myself. I was in bits after that. Oh. We played, played over in France last year, I oh, know, three years ago. And they had a sweep. That I would that I would be sent off in the first game of vet rugby in France. Well, I was sent off in about the first minute. It was it was <laughs> staggering, honestly.
1: Absolute prick. I bet, does Kelly like you when you're playing rugby? <laughs> she must not recognise who you are. So, <laughs> I'm like David Banner. <laughs>
2: oh
1: man. Anyway, yeah, so.
2: so sorry, I saying about Sinclair, so. I don't think, if, if if you're that easily wound up in a game of rugby, and if you, you know, I felt sorry for him briefly after that Wales game when he saw that that clip of him and Alan Wynn, you know, when he had his head in his chest and Alan Wynn was like giving him a hug. So I thought, I understand that he's probably a really nice bloke off the pitch, right? He's probably a decent fella. He's probably a, a good night out. He's got all the physical tools, like I said. But there's got to come a point where you either, I don't know, I don't know how you get out of it because, I mean, if it's that ingrained in you in a, a rugby-specific way, I don't know how that's coming out of you, honestly. In personal
1: experience, it, it doesn't happen.
2: I've, I've played nowhere near that level, but I just know that if you're a bit of a twat on a pitch, you're a bit of a twat on the pitch.
1: It's been borne out with lots of careers. Not many people, there's not many people you look at their career and go, actually, they calmed down the last five years. Everyone goes never right happens. up to retirement being a bit of an asshole, <laughs> don't they? never happens.
2: He'll, he'll, he'll choke hold somebody in his, in his like testimonial. That'll happen.
1: <laughs> right, so there it's an all-French final. Yeah. And if they need yeah. a 19 stone number seven, they know it's a call he wants call to get sent up. off.
2: Yeah, if you've got to be down to 14 within seconds, give me a show.
1: We finish on shit good, as we always do. Oh. Our, thank you for everyone who's contributed from Twitter to these. Yeah, we'll start with shit. Um, I didn't, I didn't tag you into this one, Mike. So the last time your phone went bananas and you couldn't understand what was happening, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't yeah, do it.
2: Done.
1: Ian Wheeler gets in touch. He said shit was BT's sycophantic coverage of Billy Vanipola. Yep, covered Agreed. that one. Um, Patricia gets in touch. Said shit is the seemingly never-ending cycle of supporting Munster, watching them play brilliantly in quarterfinals, and then roll over in the semis. Now, Patricia, I know because you've mentioned to me you listened to this podcast after college which means i know that you're a young person so you've only got the memory of this happening within your young life you yeah, have to yeah. remember that monster did quite all right for a time before and i think they're building oh, yeah. towards that again
2: yeah very yeah well again when when it went to sort of regions in in ireland they were they were uh, yeah they were a great side
1: they seem to be better placed to uh deal with professionalism Anyway, Reese not gets in touch. He said every he said what was shit was everything about nine. As I've already mentioned this, nineteen and a half stone Joe Takori playing in the back row for Toulouse. Scott Fardy made him look every bit a second row playing out of position, and it meant that Francois Croc, who's quite an handy back row himself, had to start on the bench. Quite right. That entire selection for Toulouse was fucking mental. I mean, they probably still would have lost anyway. I think Leinster were just too good, especially in Dublin. But. Um, yeah, they didn't give themselves the best chance.
2: Well, it's like you said again, it's, you're making two positions worse there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bruce McConaughey gets in touch. He said, shit is Jamie Heaslip's commentary. Constantly trying to fluff out his talking segments as if he's nervously stalling until he can find the notes he didn't bring. A colour commentator. We've all done that, mate. A couple well, this last hour we've been doing that. A colour commentator of such intense shade of beige he makes Shane Williams sound like fucking neon pink, <laughs> says Bruce. I should
2: laugh at a fellow professional, but it's
1: funny. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh what else have we got? So that was all from shit. You're all in quite a good mood this week, actually, you lot. I haven't got any shits this week. So um yeah. must, be the, the- must be the it must be the sun shining, see? Must <laughs> be the sun shining and our Lord being risen. I know, isn't it? Do any, any good goods good there? What's going on? A goods then. Graham Love gets in touch. He said, good. It's not a new one, but Channel 4 bringing the Champions Cup to a wider audience has been very good. So yeah, that free-to-air thing, as you mentioned, yep. with the cricket. Sean Flynn gets in touch. He said, my good was a real highlight, was Wayne Barnes saying, uh, pas mes problèmes, repeatedly, while giving a little Gallic shrug as Toulouse protested at their kicking tee being brought on. I hate that. Pas mes problem."
2: Oh man. Do you know what I, mean? I call it Eddie Butlerisms when you when you just start just just shut up and just referee the game.
1: I quite like Wayne Barnes actually because he's actually one of the few non-French ref who's bothered to learn French, so actually tries to explain things in French to people. I imagine it, he but... probably gets it all wrong. What I, know I I don't know how confident he is with his French. He might think he's saying you need to hold your side of the scrum up, and he's actually saying where is the, the 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 railway station?
2: Yeah, they think it sounds like the bloke who's the uh, the. British
1: boy on a lower low. <laughs> yes, quite. Or oh, they might think he did a trickle-or book like you. You might be saying, where is the school in La Rochelle? School in
2: the Piscine.
1: Sean Troy gets in touch. He says, good was James Lowe. I want to have his babies. All right, Sean, you crack on, lad. Country. We're an, inc- we're an inclusive podcast, this one. Uh, yeah. Small Man Peaky said, good was Ben Spencer, Saracen half. He's been filling the apprentice role for a long time behind Richard Wigglesworth. Can't help but feel this is a changing of the guard. I looked at an England squad from fucking ages ago recently, and Richard Wigglesworth was in it. I forgot how long he's been around. That's been for ages. Yeah, because he's in his early 30s. It's a great now, isn't name, it? though, isn't it? I mean, isn't it great?
2: That's a name that was playing like between the wars. It was brilliant.
1: It is, yeah. Dickensian names. I'm all for that. My, uh,
2: my grandmother's brother played for Wales in the 19s, in like 1939. I got his cap and his shirt in the bar there. But one of the blokes in that team was called Cobbledick. I just think what a great name you don't see Cobbledicks anymore Wrigglesworth and Cobbledicks and Lovelucks and all those so I love right. all
1: those Gawthorpes and oh, Ribblethwaites and all Higgin that bottom.
2: Oh, no, I want a Higginbottom in England team <laughs> I want a Higginbottom a Cobbledick
1: my nan's best friend when she was growing up obviously my family from Lancashire my nan's best friend was called Edith Scrag
2: <laughs> wonderful name wonderful name
1: uh, so yeah, that was so Ben Spencer. Yeah, he's been excellent actually. He had, he did creep into the England squad, obviously at the back end of the Six Nations. He's a he's a talented lad.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And he's got a brain, unlike Danny Care.
2: Um, I got to say, good for me, mate. I do a quick one. Yeah, of uh, course. I when I did I the like I said the varsity match um, and the girls' final was on before the boys' final, so it was Cardiff against Swansea. Um, kicking game wasn't great out of hand or place kicking, But the actual running rugby, it was, it was like a bloody nine trial, like five tries to four, up and down, up and down, up and down. It was a great game of rugby to watch. So good for me was Cardiff Uni against Swansea Uni, uh, women's teams.
1: Every time I watch women's rugby, and this isn't meant to sound patronising at all, I don't watch it very often because, and I've said this before, the reason why we don't cover women's rugby much on here is because I only have a certain amount of time to allocate each week to watching rugby and I can't watch everything. I don't watch sevens much for that reason. Mm. I need to watch more women's rugby, but that's the reason why I'm not watching much. But when I do watch it, I think it's your point about low tackling and freer arms and stuff like that. Oh, mate,
2: it was great to watch. As I expected, it was really good fun to watch.
1: And it sounds like we're kind of damning with fake praise I'm not. It's, it looks like a game of rugby I want to watch stylistically, you know.
2: Yeah, it was great. It was fast. It was open. It was, it was, it was, really, it was really entertaining. Yeah, it did really well.
1: What else have we got here? Matt Merritt gets in touch. He said, good for me it has to be London Irish securing promotion. There are a few good signings already announced and more to come. So hopefully the future's looking a little brighter for the club. I agree, Matt, actually. I think they're moving back, back And they're moving back to Brentford. So they'll actually be in well, they're moving into Brentford Brentford, so they're actually nearer to where they always played in West London. So they're moving away from that fucking supermarket thing in yeah. in Reading, you know, so actually they'll be right near tube stations, pubs all around them. I think it's a really good time for them to come back up actually. Yeah, and they'll great. probably and if C V C get their way, they'll be ring fenced next year so they won't go down again. So uh, what else have we got here, John?
2: So, oh, they said that they right? just. Prefer- well, it's
1: it's it's being mooted, and there's a lot of talk about. Um, yeah, they're basically moving it to to thirteen or fourteen teams and ring fencing it. I don't think that's I think that's a good idea. I don't quite be controversial. I think I think that's weirdly for because we're quite a lefty podcast generally speaking. Um yeah. So I should you know we should believe in all that stuff. I actually don't. I actually don't have a problem with ring fencing. I think you've got to. I think as long as it's opened up from time to time as a kind of franchise type. Basis. Well, I think
2: I'm an NFL fan as well, so I mean, yeah, I think when that league, whenever the league gets strong enough to sustain other teams, they add other teams. But you know, it's never to the detriment of the league. You know, so I think if you have a strong 14 teams, and then you know, in a two or three years time, you bring in two, or, you know, two, three, four more teams, whatever. But I mean, yeah. I ain't not got a problem with ring fencing per se.
1: And you can have a business plan. You can sort of say, actually, I know I'm going to be in this division with this much. Well, imagine knowing
2: like you're going to lose, you know, a million pounds next year if you don't, if you don't stay mm-hmm. up. there. how you can't plan for anything, can you?
1: No. So you know, it's it's a divisive issue, but yeah, I'm kind of with you on that, mate. Yeah. Uh John Cahill gets in touch. So good is Leicester setting out next season's store with some genuinely exciting signings. and yeah, him announced three this week, including a South African centre and a couple of forwards. It shows that perhaps the shit-shovelling spunk storm of mediocrity may not be the accepted norm after all. <laughs> Magnificent.
2: good is that turn of free? It is, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Will Games. Will Gaines gets in touch. He said, Good was the commentators describing Sale versus La Rochelle game as a carnival of awful kicking. It's exactly the level. It was the kicking, man. It was just spectacular. Honestly, it was brilliant. But you know what I loved about it? There's something... Really brilliant to watch about ramshackle rugby.
2: Well, it's, it's what it's the it's, the, it's why we just love watching bloody Fiji play. You know, it's just chucking the ball over your head through your legs, picking it up the
1: floor. Just and we also cool. we all like that moment where we can go. Hey, it looks like I could play in this game. <laughs> I can do that. Do you know, yeah, it is that kind of. I could fucking fling a ball around stupidly like that and not quite look like I know what I'm doing. This is you know I feel more yeah. affinity with this game.
2: There's something not wonderfully non-corporate about it, isn't
1: there? Yeah, there is. There is. Uh, right then, finally, Neil Webber gets in touch, and he says, Good is Jason Leonard as the new Lions manager. Yeah, yeah. As in the tour manager. He seems proper made up, which is only right. Also, because rugby itself is just meant to be a lot of fun, isn't it?
2: He's supposed to be a right lad as well. I saw him, we were up in, um, in Twickenham for the game, was it last year before? And uh, having a few drinks in Richmond, and he was in one of the big pubs there just around the corner from... Um, the London Welsh scrum, and he was just holding court there. You know, big barrel chest, he had the other jacket, and I thought, "There's a bloke who just loves rugby." You know, he, he's, he's like a proper, he's like a proper rugby player. I think he's a great show for the Lions.
1: And he bridged that, um, and he was a great tourist, wasn't he? Didn't play test oh, much, amazing. but you know, great tourist. And Ian, uh, um, what's amazing about him is the way he bridged that amateur-professional era, playing yeah. both sides of the scrum. He's obviously quite clearly just naturally. Obscenely immensely strong.
2: You can see him when he's he, he was there like in a in like a it's like a tweed sort of sports coat if I remember correctly. He looked about as broad as he was tall. Mm. That, you know that that sort of that fit. Like he's still what is he now? He's in his fifties, isn't he? Early fifties, mid fifties, yeah. But still, look, yeah, that big Swede. You know that big fit-looking face. Look, so go on.
1: <laughs> this, this is a good-looking good, man. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs>
2: <cool. laughs> good-looking <man>, you...
1: <laughs> And that brings us to the end of this podcast. Well, it was a good fun, wasn't it? Thank you very yes. much. Thank you very much, Mike, for your time. Thank you, everybody, for submitting all of your contributions and for listening. Uh, we will be in Cardiff this Saturday. Come and join us if you're going to be around. Me and Josh will actually be recording the pod on Sunday in Josh's house, so we'll actually face-to-face for the first time in a long time. And, nice. uh, and, and then that'll be that, and I'll speak to you all very soon. Take care. Goodbye.
2: See you, folks.
0: At Caller, we've always looked to the future, leading the way with our renewable gas bio-LPG. Ideal for off-grid homes and businesses, it cuts emissions by up to 90%. So, if like Mary and Mick Gorman and Abby Leakes, you're looking for a cleaner, more efficient way to cook and heat your home, our renewable gas is the right solution for you. And one that protects the planet too. Bio-LPG. Renewable gas from Caller. Find out more at callergas.ie.